0: In today's quest, we follow the traitor brother of the traitor brother. Let's see how he keeps up the family traditions. This is Yurik, and this is the Quest for Power. Welcome back to the Quest for Power, where we are ranking and reviewing all of the European monarchs from the early Middle Ages to World War One, We are your hosts and, your, and the devastators of mediocre lords, and we sing the highest praises to the High Kings. We are Scott and Michael.
1: All hail the High
0: King. Well, we're going to need a few more High Kings before we can sing some more praises. And we're going to see if our new friend Yurik is going to live up to our promises here. But... Uh, before we get to that, let's go over, let's backtrack a little bit here. So if you've listened to the previous episode, which again, broken record, we always encourage you to listen to the previous episode. Or you'll be so confused going in and into this one. But for those of you who just want the spark notes, this is, we followed Theodoric II because we always have to have plenty of th names. Just to confuse us, this man backstabbed himself all the way up to the throne. It's, well, it's one way to get a throne. He backstabbed his brother, um, Fee... Thorismund. 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 <laughs> it's again, it's those darn TH names. <laughs> so he backstabbed his way to the throne. And ultimately, if you could summarize his rule in... One phrase or sentence, it would be he uh, hitched himself and the Visigoths to the dying Rome, basically. Although it sounded like honestly that it went pretty well, all things considered. But at the end of the day, a dying Rome is still a dying empire.
1: Here's the thing: is like the people at the time didn't realize Rome was dying, so it's not a bad hitch. Like, yeah, they're not. It's not the glorious empire it once was, but. It still was a powerful powerhouse. It just happened that too many things added up, and well, it, it fell into chaos.
0: Well, you're right, but also the people who rode the Titanic didn't expect it to sink. So <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong <laughs> there. Yeah, I, I, it, again, it's one of those things where it's like hind, hindsight is twenty twenty, and <laughs> unfortunately, consequences I'd say in most people's eyes tend to weigh as greater precedent than intentions right your intentions versus consequences and unfortunately if it leads to a lot of problems or people dying even if you meant well or even if it with all of your best knowledge even if you have very good information but you're missing a few pieces and you you're being being very smart tactically yeah they were on the unsinkable
1: ship so Yeah, that sounds like 100% to me. (laughs) That's what what Rome probably sounded like to them.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, again, it's really hard to think of something that is a constant in your life, because what, how long did Rome as an empire exist?
1: Oh, boy, they started... I know, loose (laughs) dates. Oh, well, I think Caesar Augustus was was around when Jesus' is, was around on earth. So zero at year zero <laughs> that. So it'd be about at least 400 years. And then before then they had the Republic so went back even before that. I can't remember the dates off the top of my head cuz I remember stories, not dates in history. I didn't I did not do well in dates when we were <laughs> taking tests on those. Ever the great history student. But I guess back to the point
0: being is that this is such a long-standing fixture that you know, your whole life this stands, right? I mean, the United States is a is a short lived nation in the grand scheme of things. And it is so hard to imagine it just, you know, you know, collapsing,
1: dissolving, whatever. And I was going to say, we're like half the age of Rome right now, like of the Roman Empire, not even Rome, the Republic, and then not including the Byzantine Empire, which essentially is like Rome 2.0 over in the east. But exactly. It's. That
0: you know, even not that long ago in the grand scheme of things is that yeah. it's become such a fixture in well, in this case, everyone in the world's lives, uh, if you're talking about the United States and honestly Rome to a very large degree well though the the world is <laughs> the world if you're talking in the European centric uh, line,
1: The the North America is probably not as, (laughs) not as affected by Rome. So (laughs) they did affect Asia though, but yes, they did not affect so much North America. I doubt they even knew of them. But yeah, like there's a lot of these
0: countries that now have been so long standing and fixtures that it's really hard to imagine what it's like without them, or rather if they were to just collapse. And, you know, even with our information that we have which is far superior to you know back then right we Mm -hmm. have so much data being collected all the time and people thinking that things are gonna collapse prematurely usually for clickbait but all the
1: time i see it all yeah like china oh my god we're gonna (laughs) this this our country's gonna collapse someone always says all the economy's gonna collapse our country's gonna be in ruin and i'm like guys this is we're fine <laughs> there are some countries that have stood way longer grand there's some countries that stood a lot less but in the grand scheme of things this is like a little blimp in the radar i doubt most of our events i'm pretty confident the uh coronavirus will be a blip in history because how many people remember the spanish flu unless there was a different flu going around it's not like it was the black death which was way worse oh yeah for sure but
0: yeah it's and it's something again it may seem like you're like oh it's just a blip on the radar but again no one ever really can truly with 100 percent accuracy predict the death of a nation right correct so well but in any case so now that we've kind of covered the the past or rather the previous episode let's uh let's make a tiny little segue here and let's just uh give our give our little plug here about if you want to help improve this podcast make us better and maybe say a few nice words and if you have less nice things to say make it constructive criticism please we are (laughs) we are humans behind (laughs) these microphones so make it kind but if you want to leave a review preferably a five star, we will have a pod chaser link and viewing us at podchaser.com. And I've been recently informed that we will have the joys of reading five star review pod chasers at the end of every show. So a little extra little extra motivator to give us a little to make us feel good. inside. (laughs) So
1: it's also to help. It's also to help that little algorithm that we have no idea how it works in the in the background.
0: Yeah, the algorithm gnomes do really mess with uh, our lives, and I, I think it's about our time to uh, expand our influence on this kingdom and for you as well to be able to give us some reviews, give some data to the algorithm gnomes, and to help with that and give a little extra spice and. Hopefully, uh, you will say some nice, decent, kind things. We will rev- We will read those reviews at the end of every show. So now that that out of the way, we can uh, talk about the burning questions here, the the important stuff.
1: How has Pokemon been going on, Scott? I know you've been obs- You you just got what is it, Scarlet, or did you get no, the other one? No, no, Violet. I Violet. I, 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 Violet. Pokemon.
0: <laughs> Violet man and let me tell you i am not i've kind of like pulled back from playing pokemon the last one that i actually like played more or less like for real was like pokemon diamond and then later i bought the remaster so basically i have not played since gen 4 although i did play i
1: was going to say i thought you played sword and so i did play shield. shield i did shield. play shield
0: but actually yeah because uh that was basically a gift so oh that's Uh, fair i you know i didn't think about it it was such a it was such a forgettable game (laughs) it was bad it was forgettable in all the wrong ways and memorable in all the wrong ways as well like it was just it was it was really bland to play and then on top of it it was just like insultingly easy which i understand it's pokemon (laughs) it's a children's game at the end of the day and i also think that though you know you can have a little bit of difficulty you know kids kids are these days are a lot better at games than we were as kids like how many times do we just get wrecked by like 10 year olds at call of duty right oh yeah too much it's not like kids are all of a sudden less capable of you know understanding a jrpg but I think this new one is really great. It basically takes all the stuff that I love about, uh, that I that I loved about some of the older stuff and got rid of a lot of the things I hated about Pokemon Shield. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. It's That's optimized cool. horribly. Like, <laughs> like if you were to ever purchase this, you would probably, I wouldn't say you want to wait. It doesn't stop the game from running. It's just that it looks ugly as sin. I wish people could see the classroom scene and just how awfully animated these children are. They're terrifying. It's like the animatronics at Chuck E. Cheese's, and I love to laugh at it. The game is fun to laugh at and all of its bad stuff, but it's not frustrating to play.
1: So happy, happy days. Well, I think they've had enough with Pokemon, and I, I think it's about time we get to what we're actually what we're actually here for, and. That's right. uh, Today, facing the lords of judgment, is our second kin and king slayer, Uric, second of his name, fratricidal and regicidal maniac, king of the Visigoths. That's quite a oh. title. And one more
0: that I might add is uh, spare heir to the spare heir, because <laughs> our last, <laughs> our last one was the spare heir so this
1: is our secondary or i guess our tertiary so he is the spare to the spare so this guy's like an because i'm a i'm a, a football person this guy's like your third string quarterback coming into play so let's see how the third string does here normally that doesn't spell too good for a kingdom yeah source sources this week Uh, Before we get going, they greatly frustrated me. I wanted to reach back in the past and grab them and shake them and ask them what happened. A lot happened in his reign. And yet we're just given the cliff notes of what happened. I swear there's parts of his reign that could just be an entire TV show, but we get like a sentence and that's it one thing to note is these sources are all very very catholic and he is infamous for persecuting catholics so they aren't as favorable on him well
0: i guess we've got uh a little something to work on with our our religious fervor discussion in the opposite direction but
1: Well, it is religious fervor if you are persecuting a different religion to advance your own. That's pretty religious, You know, that's pretty passionate on your own religion. That's true. Like, uh, when we get to the Spanish and we do this Spanish Inquisition, which nobody ever expects, we will... That one, uh, I'm pretty confident, will get pretty high. Oh, yeah. So the problem with the fact that saying all of his persecution of Catholics is there's like zero evidence of this. And so it could be the sources just hated him and they wanted to, Oh, of there's zero evidence of him killing his brother. I should be clear, which is crazy that, you know, he, it makes sense because his brother killed him and he, was part of that murder. So, I mean, it could make sense, but I kind of want to say, he didn't kill his brother for the throne. It's a made up story to explain the transition of power because the Catholics, uh, scribes at the time needed a villain of the, of the story. Every story needs one. Oh yes. And once again, we are relying on the unreliability of Jordan's. We'll see how much, I think we're going to get pretty close to where we're no longer using him. And we also get my favorite source so far. We f- explored him last week, Sidonius, uh, C- and he all he m- also might not have favorable terms because the king kind of imprisoned him. So you're not going to be really happy with someone. Some real uh, unbiased writing in prison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then of course we got our favorite victorian gibbon as always towards the end of rome and the story of goss by henry bradley on to the main quest uric was born into the balti dynasty as the youngest of theodoric the sons he is described by sidonius as a harsh and violent king probably because he imprisoned him. That, he probably thought that was pretty harsh and violent. Yeah, well,
0: considering the times, it sounds like P- Sidonius probably got off pretty easy. He's gotten off really easy on everything. He like, really How has... many times do you get to just fully back, you know, emperors <laughs> and then get away with what more <laughs> stuff on the next guy? Like, usually you tie yourself to one guy and then... You know as soon as the next guy
1: rolls in you're done at yeah, very you... best you're getting demoted At <laughs> <laughs> if you tie yourself to the wrong horse tra- chances are you're going to get trampled by the other one that ends up winning <laughs> right exactly
0: and you know this this man as we discussed in the last episode eh go check it out yeah 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 but uh this man really had uh, the ability of uh, the persuasion really, really knew how to work his way around uh, old society. Yes.
1: Yeah, he was he was a really good player of the Game of Thrones, even though he never was uh, a king. He was so good at it. I mean, he worked his way all the way up to sainthood. So that's probably as high as you can go in this period. Besides maybe the Pope. Game of Saints. <laughs> I like that one. So get you to uh, explore the kind of man Yurik was even further. He was described as a skillful general, a cunning statesman, and utterly destitute of conscience shrinking from no act of cruelty or treachery necessary. So right. he, he does he seems like a pretty darn impressive third string king. Spare air, spare air yeah well i it,
0: a lot of this also does kind of fit the narrative of oh he may have just killed his brother even if there's there's nothing to really suggest it or we say kill his brother or that he had his brother killed oh is yeah. another way to put it like but that it sounds like from you know our biased sources that you know the 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 dominoes are lining up here
1: Uh, uh, the, the kind of man they make him out to be if he was like a character he definitely killed his like his brother he would not shrink from like doing the dirty work he has no problem and he he would agree with like way down the road in the renaissance with machiavelli that the ends justify the means yeah so
0: but well i guess we'll have to see throughout his rule, if he's uh, as merciless as our <laughs> characterizations point him out to be because there oh, yeah. are some pretty large strokes in history, right? Like if you just go and have battles that are, uh, you know, think about like sneak attacks on Christmas Day, right? Well, yep. like, mm-hmm. that's uh, y- y- you know, it's very prudent to do, but well. it's not exactly it's a low blow is is really what it's about i guess
1: oh the vikings when we go to when we go to england the vikings love to attack on holidays
0: (laughs) well yeah i mean it makes sense it's just you know it it speaks to the character of the people commanding this right exactly and that's what i'm getting at is you know he may be characterized uh by opinion But there is a certain level of, hey, if he's doing X, Y, and Z, then there's a fair chance that he, his character is matching up with the characterization, the exaggerated characterizations that are given to him. So we will find out throughout his reign if he's uh, earned his uh, characterization on a macro (laughs) level.
1: Yurik probably had the same upbringing as his brother Theodoric II and Thorismund, which we knew nothing about. Because, I, had, God forbid we know anything about those people before they become kings. Yeah, But no. Before his uh, reign, he was a youngster in 453 after his father heroically died fighting Attila the Hun. And then shortly thereafter, his older brother and him murdered his eldest brother, Thorsmund to give Theodoric the second the throne. <laughs> Quite a bit going on there.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting that it from the connotations and everything that it sounds like that they really cooperated on this effort
1: <laughs> which, that... is kind of, which is kind of crazy to me that you're like yeah i want to work with my other brother to kill my current brother for the throne like it, i'm thinking of Thor- theodoric's mind like i would just take out Euric right after because he's gonna come yeah. for you again hindsight's 2020 but you gotta take out your your threats it's before yeah.
0: i understand needing to work together it just feels really weird that they worked together on this and then Yurek uh allegedly backstabs his brother.
1: Yeah, correct. And 466 he thought, you know what? I could do better than Theodoric. He kind of sucks as king. He backed Rome, Rome fell apart. I I I got this. So, he followed in his brother's and his own footsteps steps and backstabbed his brother for the throne so he is a true self-made king he killed both of his brothers for the throne and the fact that he was third in line he had to be forced forged into like a merciless player of this this deadly game that these guys are playing he's certainly living up to his characterizations so far he definitely has a pretty solid start on those in the beginning of his rule the western empire was engulfed in chaotic infighting and was penniless from fighting the vandals our friend gazeric the cruel left a power vacuum after he just decimated rome that was just begging to be filled inside rome which led to a basically an internal collapse that we will explore when we go and do different regions Euric inherited most of the fertile regions southern France that was given to Wallia. So this is really interesting. He did not get the entire Visigothic kingdom like our previous sources would lead you to believe. And up till now, our sources have made like the Visigothic kingdom like seem one cohesive unit. It turns out it was never that way. It was a bunch of pocket kingdoms that were working together as the as a bigger unit.
0: Yeah, well, that makes sense. Well, especially as, you know, they probably as they settle down and especially, you know, they they were moving around raging and very much unified under one banner because it turns out just constant threats will kind of do that to you. But I'm sure as they settle down and feel more secure, people begin to bicker about the smaller things and they have the luxuries to do so. Uh, And yeah, you have your own as it turns out, when you have your own sources of food and things like that, separate from your main body, all of a sudden you have the security and the means to be able to fight your way through this. So, uh, I kind of get it, but I I guess it is something that is interesting that, yeah, from, from the perspective of us, where we're looking at this, that, It is just it feels like one big unit one big raging unit where correct yeah well i guess up until um i guess that would be what thorismund because again backstabbing happened because of factions right correct yep so you could kind of see just reading between the lines in the these last few episodes is that you could kind of read between the lines and see that the cracks were forming
1: yeah, and I think what was holding them together was Rome was this big oppressive force. And once that goes away, they're no longer have to deal with Rome. So they got all the time in the world. Like you said, with the, enough food, they have all the time in the world to start plotting and, you know, building their battle lines and growing alliances.
0: Yeah. And Well, maybe that's a little foreshadowing, but uh, let's see
1: how it plays out. Well, when Rome collapsed, it led to a series of brutal civil wars. And again, this is what happens when the main force is taken out. It's just gonna, all of these cracks that you were talking about just came and collided together. Euric vanished several other Visigothic kings, warlords, through treachery, iron, and blood. He forged his way to become the first ruler of an actually, truly united, unified Visigothic nation. So he, it was broken up until now, and now it is one cohesive unit. Probably because he killed a lot of kings that were in this hu- huge conflict that we got no nothing on. Like there had to be. There, there had to be, like, so many of these noble houses before this with their own, you know, proud dynasties and histories that we'll never know about because it was never written down.
0: Yeah, well, and even then, I'm sure Yurik uh, and crew probably made very sure work to eliminate a lot of that because it sounds like that this man, through our biased characterization sources have kind of demonstrated him to be ruthless and I'd imagine wiping out history is just one more step in his uh grand scheme of unifying everything under his banner.
1: I mean, it's not just like ruthless in terms of like evil, it's incredibly intelligent because Whoa, yeah. You are that is how you got to wipe out your, you know, your threats completely, take out any remaining remnants of them and they everyone's forced to bow down to you after that this would be an incredibly good tv show i think that you know HBO could throw in some more dragons and the civil war could be at least four seasons in the setting settling you know of the rem- remnants of a great empire which is kind of house of the dragon so i guess they're kind of doing that already yeah yeah. You,
0: know, you just got to get a a writer to uh finish the story and have the show
1: follow at the same pace and you're golden <laughs> exactly during the past couple of decades so after the civil war and d- while this is going on the 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 Sweevey who we haven't talked about in quite some time who if you remember they got a severe beatdown from wally uh, a me- a couple of rulers ago i want to say like four or five rulers ago and they started slowly inching their way back in Hispania and really starting to gain themselves more land. Well, that didn't last too long because Uric got control. And since Rome no longer controlled the Visigoths, Uric just marched his army right over the Pyrenees and then just started smacking the Suevi around and told them basically, get, get back to your mountain kingdom. We get Get out of here. Don't want to deal with you. Yeah, honestly,
0: this almost feels like a rite of passage at this point. <laughs> like we have. It's a great way to cement yourself as a leader, right? It's yeah. it really feels like an easy punching bag. I know that, again, with history kind of being the spark notes of the spark notes of the spark notes uh, where we're re- it's really boiled down. Correct. But it really feels like that the, uh, the Sweebies are really just the punching bag here and that this again ever for politics politics everyone loves an easy win and what's a easier win than having a rival group just you, you
1: you punch them back and they and what's great is you don't need to wipe them out you just push them back and let them come back and then you punch them again it's like you it's a great like little tool i think the boss country in spain is going to be a big part of this down the road of the visigothic rule after the balti dynasty is gone it, it, again it's just going to keep happening over and over okay he didn't just kick the sweepy around he also in some time during his reign he managed to march up um from back from spain or to northern france and he slept around the britons at that time they were not over in the english territory they were northern france and they slapped around the british uh, or the Britons' king i don't even know how to say this king reuthamius and you may know him better as arthur king of the britons king of the who <laughs> the britons i didn't vote for hmm. you yeah <laughs> At least according to the King Arthur historian, Geoffrey Ash, which if you're bored and you want to go through a ton of confusing texts, I took a quick glance of it and it kind of matches a lot of the stories of this king and King Arthur's stories. Obviously, King Arthur's stories are a little more drawn out, but it kind of does the same. It, it, it rhymes quite a bit which is okay kind of funny so he beat so in the official quest for power we will proclaim that king uric defeated king arthur <laughs> and then king arthur went run away didn't have a uh,
0: excalibur given to him from the lady of the lake yet
1: no no he probably also could have used the holy hand grenade of antioch at his disposal as well as long as you can count to five no more no less so after his victory against our, our mythical king in 471, he decided to go toe to toe against the Roman Empire for the city of Arlis uh, on, on the coast of southern France. This has got, I think, the Visigoths have gone after Arliss three or four times now, and every single time they were way over their head. They never were able to conquer this city. How do you think he fared in this? Do you think he finally bit off a chunk too many?
0: No. This guy, he's ruthless, and he's probably willing to go even dirtier than, like, Alaric or something somehow. Like, I, I have faith in him.
1: He ha, yeah, I would uh, your faith is uh, well preserved. He crushed them without mercy in in the battle. He managed to kill the son of the emperor <laughs> as well as three counts of the empire so he decimated quite a bit of the hierarchy of the empire and as a result rickmer who was like the kingmaker of the roman empire at this time executed the emperor after such a humiliating defeat excellent and (laughs) the empire would never recover from this so he really beat them back in a solid way it's nice to know that he contributed to the probably the
0: I wouldn't say in the fall but rather the prevention of rome from clawing back
1: (laughs) yeah it yeah he he he, yeah i would have to agree with that in fact i would say he contributed to the like the gothic superiority all over europe he is the first official visigothic king to completely declare independence of rome so all of our kings up to that point were not were always like kings under Rome they may have been rebellious kings but they were always under the yoke of Rome he is the first one to make Rome agree that they are independent of them which is pretty impressive
0: yeah well it feels a lot of like right place right time syndrome to me again you got to have a weak Rome
1: to be able to do this and
0: he's a strong guy in the in a yeah. weak
1: Rome <laughs> you need to be the right person at the right time, because I think if his brother Thorismund was there or his brother Theodoric was there, it would not be the same story. I think they needed Euric to be there. Exactly. And Sidonius, who had been leading a strong resistance for the Romans, sued for peace from Euric when Euric was uh, besieging him, and he was imprisoned for his troubles, so now we get to where our source was imprisoned oh all right yeah
0: so this is where the biases begin
1: yes so things in rome are not going well in fact off to the east in 476 the mighty roman empire is finally imploded the shroud of the dark ages have fallen begun the medieval era has okay yoda (laughs) i I couldn't resist (laughs) (laughs) i've often wondered like what people were feeling like when rome fell was it like a celebration was it disinterest was it like for us if oh i don't know nothing's too far away anymore in our globalized economy i don't know a far off land like the empire fell or was it more of like oh Thank God, finally, this grip that has been terrorizing us for what felt to them eternity is finally gone.
0: I feel like it's got to be the people in the farthest reaches. And this is my opinion. And actually, uh, me very loosely thinking about all the historical maps I've ever seen of the rough perimeters of the Roman Empire, as it were. The people on the farthest perimeters probably had the greater impact, to be honest like because you have to think is they're kind of like under some form of occupation, they're serving the empire. But then as the empire declines, a lot of those, you know, honestly, soldiers and things like that are no longer really going to be there to, you know, protect you, they bring back, protect you, bring things back, force you to bring things back to the empire. Um, the thing is it's like you know nothing truly ever disappears overnight really you know it's not it's a, the yeah. city of rome as i understand it is still like there although it's been ransacked
1: it several is, times it is a very small city right now this is like probably the lowest it's gonna be for the rest you know up until uh the catholic church moves in but right now yeah it is it it's at its rock bottom after Gazeric goes in and just cleans house. Yeah, but it is still a city.
0: Correct. And, and it's still there. So I feel like the people, you, you know, and I'm trying to per- picture myself way back in the day with a lot of the uh, at basically uh, like probably someone who's more like along lines of like a peasant, right? Yeah, like your day to day may like probably will not change you're probably changing on who you do business with but if you're closer to rome you're probably still going to rome to do you know any degree of business because it's like where else are you gonna go like within reason right they but f- the further others, you are yeah. away the less you're going to be touching it because the infrastructure you know the the military and a lot of that yeah, i guess a lot of that's just not going to be there anymore
1: yeah the the interesting thing is 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 like I agree normally most things in history it doesn't just collapse overnight but the infrastructure of Rome the bureaucracy of Rome collapses overnight because now power is might yes. in terms of the rulers so now it's whoever can you know this is when the castles start going up because they want to protect against bandits and now yeah, no one to protect them so you got to protect yourself and correct and now it's these... much easier
0: to to p- protect yourself
1: and your exactly uh to behind a wall exactly and now like the roman armies probably are the ones who are becoming the knights of the new kings or even becoming kings themselves because yeah. they have weapons <laughs> or mercenaries yes i feel like mercenaries would be
0: A very natural transition for a lot of them, or at least for a lot of the soldiers, you know, just because soldiers, as I understand it, depending on, you know, a lot of things like your classes, like the most soldiers are not going to have much in the way of money, things like that. Right. But they're correct. So uh, combat skills are valued, especially, (laughs) especially in a post Roman world. Mm So. Yeah, it would be kind of terrifying, I I think they probably transition to either, you know, they either get exterminated, or they are forced to move in with a certain, you know, lord, basically, or they just become bands of mercenaries. I don't know how prevalent mercenaries are, but I feel like they've got to be, right? But
1: Yeah, or bandits, probably, at this too. time. There's a lot of stuff you could go and pillage right now, because, again, there's no one to protect them. When, when the Roman forces left Britain, they it really showed like how vulnerable the population was. And I think when we get to the to the England, we'll, we'll kind of explore how crazy it was. Like almost overnight, all of these forces left and there you are exposed, vulnerable, you can't do anything. Yeah. You're just at the mercy of the, the, the people that are coming to invade you because you're ripe for the taking. The other thing with that is Rome, the western side of rome collapsed what people yeah. thought of rome is still around it just moved over to east into constantinople which was not istanbul yet yeah so with rome kind of out of the way urich kind of had some time to for himself he didn't you know he didn't, he already unified his kingdom through civil war there was a little bit of peace now because he had no one attacking him he had no threats and so around 476, he created the Code of Euric, And this is the first code codified laws of the Visigothic people. So this is pretty kind of cool that wow. we're starting to see the Visigothic kingdom form, which is really kind of fun. And about eight years go by, and the scribes don't want to tell us anything what happens in those eight years, and Yurik dies of natural causes. Good for him. Well, kind of bad for him, but, you know, like, it's it's been a
0: hot minute since we've heard about someone just dying of natural causes.
1: <laughs> yes, and even though he died of natural causes, he died too early for the Visigoths. Uh, he left... He left behind his son Alaric II. And we will see next time how well that goes for the Visigoths.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, he's got big shoes to fill, let me tell you that. Yes, he does. How long do you think Euric's reign was? We weren't able to give you like year-to-year stuff because of the way the scribes were, but your best guess. Oh. Well, it sounds like he was successful. And that's a
0: very long determining factor in his reign. Um, I think that, and again, I know that it sounded like the sources are sparse this time around, so we're a little bit rough on the calculation. But you did say eight, say eight years, so we got at least that. Yeah, you know, let's let's give him a lot like like twelve. I feel like that's pretty good, because he, he started, he did a lot, and then eight years go by with, uh, apparently, it's probably just a bunch of
1: stability stuff and government and
0: politicking, so.
1: Yeah, well, you're pretty close. It was 18 years he ruled from 466 to 484. He did a lot in those 18 years. Pretty yeah. Pretty impressive individual. Are you ready to rate him? Yeah, let's go for it. This guy sounds fun. All right. So the real game of Thrones. So we got a little bit of extra information. I couldn't really find a way to fit this in the story, but it's really critical and really important at the end of his reign, the kingdom consisted a third of France and the best part of France at that, that most fertile region and the entire Iberian peninsula, except for the Sweeby kingdom who we talked that he kept beating back into Galicia which is northwest of Spain. So this is the biggest spoiler alert. This is the biggest that the Visigothic kingdom will grow to. Quite uh... <laughs> quite impressive. And I don't know, you can tell me if this is religious passion or not, but I actually upon research think this belongs in the Game of Thrones category he like we discussed that he was infamous for persecuting the Catholics and I want to give you some context around this issue and then let you can decide whether we put it into the religious fervor or we put it into the Game of Thrones category okay the Victorian historians so various historians not just um oh boy I forgot him terrible he's our favorite one Gibbon. Oh, Gibbon yeah gotta remember this I remember given oh good buddies I see so many so many source names the Victoria they th- came to the conclusion that they could have been the new Rome and the masters of the Western Empire like the Visigoths were so powerful at this time and Yurik was very powerful But they were plagued with the simple fact that they were Arian, and many of their subjects in Gaul were Catholics. So it's pretty sure, you sure
0: jordanes didn't have it sounds like something jordanes would write <laughs> except in reverse
1: right well it actually it actually is very like well known so the the religious breakup at this time is all of spain well most of spain is um the Aryans, because that's where the visigoths have been for quite a bit before they went up to france and but um, over in France is Gaul, and that's when that a lot of that is Catholic because that was all Roman land. Mm-hmm. It's pretty hard to rule, and if as effective as he did, when people you are governing deem you are a heretic and think that your soul is corrupt and you have a fast pass to hell, it's not easy. <laughs> To get someone to pay taxes to you when they really believe you're damning them to hell just by being, you know, ruling them. Yep. That calls for an inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> and and the Victorians who were writing about this were Victorians over in England and they were Protestants. So... <laughs> to their credit, they they could be crediting the Aryan Goths. um, And they said that the Aryan Goths were seldom guilty of religious persecution. So basically, a lot of the sources over and over say that the Aryans, they kind of left people alone with whatever their religion was. But if you came after them, then they would persecute cute you back, but they wouldn't they would do it enough for so you basically like stop versus the Catholics would just, you know, stick you under their thumb, and really grind you into oblivion unless you converted to their way of thinking. And in this time, a lot of the Catholic bishops were caught preaching rebellion and conspiring against the throne. So then, as a response to that, as a you know, as a response to rebellion, he swiftly executed a bunch of them and banished others. I and
0: I know we're kind of I'm kind of jumping the gun here, but this to me reeks of political prudence rather than religious fervor ferventness okay yeah
1: fervor i would have
0: to agree yeah just yeah we'll cut to the chase and say yeah because honestly it could have been uh they could have been any faith and the the other faction could have been any faith and the result would have turned out the same right so We'll we'll leave that here yeah there is probably very little religious passion motivated in this and more of uh
1: political expediency. I would have to agree. He also refused the uh, the successors to um, be ordained so like you said the whole he was really intelligent and then a whole parishes were left without clergy and therefore collapsed because there is no infrastructure. You have no infrastructure, the the governing body is just going to collapse. This really, by him doing this, really pissed off the neighboring Catholic kingdoms, especially like the Franks. Um, it drew the ire of Catholic historians in the centuries that followed so that maybe why he's looked as you know such a vicious individual is because of the, his moves right there to take them. I'm not sure if it was a good move for him to wipe these cat these, uh, you know, rebellious bishops out or a bad one. Because the Catholics at this time are really, really powerful. But at the same time, if you leave like this cancer in your kingdom, they're gonna come back to get you eventually. So like, what would you do in that situation? So
0: I think this is largely dependent on the leader because the think is that these factions religious factions have been around for quite some time at this point and have largely coexisted with, you know, to a certain degree. The mm-hmm. kingdom has been the fact that the kingdom has been written largely as one body really says an awful lot about the relationship between the religious factions in the kingdom or in the Visigothic uh, rule. So what I would say is, is it depends on the ruler. This is a guy who is, you know, very just ruthless and honestly probably just didn't have the charisma to support these two factions and actually get them to really go his way. He he's a person who it's it's my way or the highway. And uh, unfortunately for Catholics, uh, they got the highway so uh i think it was very i think it was a very solid move for him but unless you have a very special kind of leader with and again not just leaders but also the right people who are supporting his policies because no leader is a leader really without his policies yeah so it's his he would need to you keep them united without having to go all uh spanish inquisition on them he'd have to have the charisma and the fortitude but also have his officials and his system of government in line with that and that's i think that takes a lot of that's very challenging whereas he's a very militaristic and ruthless kind of guy yeah so i think it's i think it's an excellent call on his part but not every leader can do that if you're maybe a little more of the uh Hey, handsome kind of <laughs> uh leader
1: then you probably just try and piece it out but yeah yeah uh, another thing to like kind of say so you know how you were saying like the religious communities were kind of coexisting this was under rome when rome collapses religious tensions rise because religions now become a secular power almost Mm, more yeah. than more than just religious power, so they're these Catholic, you know, bishops. They're losing power by an Aryan ruling over them, versus if a Christian versus if a Catholic ruler was ruling over them. So they're not getting as much wealth as let's say if a Catholic ruler was over them. Yeah, that so makes sense. There's a lot of there's a really mixed bag. Isn't it crazy to think of the fate of Europe and this whole conflict is happening just because the Gothics, when they were introduced to Christianity, was by Valens, who happened to be the one emperor in like a span of time to be Arian instead of Nicene Christianity.
0: <laughs> you know, history is filled with the strangest coincidences.
1: just kind of nuts if we just had him not be Aryan or just a different ruler at that time to convert them we could be talking about a whole different ball game but because the religion i cannot express this enough we're going to keep bumping into this over and over and over religion is as powerful as a kingdom if not more during this period it really has a grip on everyone in a way it still does (laughs) just not as much just yeah it's just i think some of us like the more secular you know countries wouldn't understand what it's like because i don't know it's hard to wrap your mind around something like that and especially as superstitious as they were that it has this incredible grip it's all it's more of a grip than if you're you know if you're left politically or right politically imagine that grip that's on people and multiply that by 10 is basically what this is to try and give you a glimpse so so in summary he killed his brother for the game of thrones he killed his brother before he would be replaced as heir so his brother you know couldn't name someone before him When he took it over with king, he did it with conviction. He crushed all of his opponents during the Civil War. He helped drive the final nail in the Roman coffin. He forced Rome to recognize the Visigoths as a separate state. The first king to ever do that and made all of the subjects in his domain swear allegiance to him as their king. He beat the legendary King Arthur and he slept around the Sweevy as is a rite of passage in powerful Visigothic kings. And he acquired the most amount of land the Visigoths will ever acquire. Really strong resume. Yeah,
0: incredible. Um, For me, we'll just jump. I'm just going to jump into the number.
1: I think this man gets a 10 i will yep i agree magic wow. we don't even need to discuss like he did Her first
0: perfect score yes
1: pretty cool look at that
0: um <laughs> uh, for for people a 10 plus 10 equaling 20 points hey so far <laughs> perfect score but i uh
1: we uh, we know full well he's not getting his full marks so our next category is royal mischief he's gonna get some good points in here he is a two-time kin and king slayer he wiped out entire families (laughs) during a civil war i don't know how much more mischievous you can get i mean this man was cunning he was ruthless he killed he killed you know um rebellious uh bishops That's true. Yeah, that's within you. So here is my
0: thought. And this isn't this is far from perfect because there's a lot of caveats to this. But when I think of royal mischief, apart from the the goofy stuff, when you're talking like the backstabbing stuff or the killing stuff, it's like it's Game of Thrones. If you're (laughs) looking externally. But a lot of that can be classified as mischief internally, although they, it falls under both internally. But it does, um, it
1: does. It's one of those backstabbing's one of those weird things that it kind of falls into both places. This man, this man messed with religion, which is always a bold thing. So yeah,
0: that yelp. Yeah, I think it gets pretty high marks on Royal Mischief, uh, but it can't be like the whole the whole gamut, you know. It's, it's no. probably like
1: a good. Uh, Probably like at least like a good seven. Uh, I was also thinking, wow, we are in sync today. I would also agree with seven.
0: Okay.
1: Look at that. Seven and seven, 14. We're moving along here. All right. Religious passion. He did release Bishop Sidonius from captivity in the name of Christianity.
0: How nice.
1: So... He is well known for his persecution of Catholics, but we discussed how that's more of religious game, more Game of Thrones than I think religious passion. Yeah, but I think it's worth some consideration. And by that, I mean, he probably gets like a whopping like two points. I think he might get a little more because he protected his own religion. If he was truly playing the Game of Thrones, he could have converted to Christianity and that would have really secured his reign and the Visigothic line down the road. So Either that or you, uh, you have your
0: uh, Aryan faction behind you, they just get incredibly pissed. And then his entire his entire home base, which is the last base you want to actually have go against you is true Just turn up behind you. So I think he started from his solid base and worked his way out. But that's sorry. That is Game of Thrones. But let's talk religious passion. I I will give him the benefit of the doubt and say that there's a there is probably a tiny smidgen of religious passion in the persecution. Well, I want to give him the smidgen by that. I mean, he gets like a point and then releases sidonius yeah to me it feels like it's a point of oh you know hey you know it's probably like i just don't want to like bother taking care of you (laughs) and it's convenient (laughs) and you know you're christian
1: and sidonius is incredibly he he seemed like he even charmed (laughs) uric yeah i think that it's
0: like these are these are very minor things and not terribly faith motivated but faith has a minor role in it i guess you know
1: so that's why i'm like this is like a two to me all right you convinced me you convinced me i'll go two as well all right well that's a two and a two for four so a little bit worse than that all righty out of five points for alignment What do you think his alignment is? I think this one's interesting. You could go a multiple of different ways with this boy.
0: Well, and again, we're calling out the flaws of the alignment system in Dungeons & Dragons. One of the most controversial pieces of the game. Plus that it's how do you summarize a person's life and attitudes and everything in one go? (laughs) Yeah. So, but for me, this is a guy who strikes me as someone who is ruthlessly law and order like yeah he, he sets up his base there's nothing he's doing that's terribly outlandish to me in terms of
1: you know being chaotic so let's let's get that lawful in there I, yeah yeah he is de- he brings order he literally creates a code of laws <laughs> i don't know yeah, how much more lawful you, you know i didn't even get. think about that <laughs> So, all right, well,
0: all right, that's the easy part. But the harder part is, it's like, okay, is he good? Is he evil? Uh, He's definitely painted as evil per the biased sources. But again, anytime you're killing Catholics uh, and you're, you know, your sources are Catholic, you're going to have a lot of bias. Uh, If you're talking about self-centeredness, you can display that as neutral or evil Uh, is weird as it sounds i think i would give him more on the evil bent rather really? than neutral and this is just on the fact that again relating to the royal mischief is that to basically although it is practical he basically went in and started just completely annihilating uh groups in this case Catholics in his own sphere of influence
1: catholic bishops not just catholic Catholic like, not just yeah no it's not but not not the common people who are catholics the the higher-ups that were causing the issues
0: yeah uh it just feels like that you know it's it's within his own sphere okay and and again like you said like he could have converted there's a whole lot of other ways that they you know potentially could have gone about this you know to various extent you might be he feels just very smart and that 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 doesn't always mean that you're a good guy
1: (laughs) i'm gonna have to go lawful evil as well and just because of the characterization like i think in this section we're just gonna have to play with the character and not so much like all of the nuances but like the characterization yeah. if he was to be a cartoon he would be a lawfully evil villain
0: yeah would you would you describe the you know i mean again long time since i've read it and how much you've read i don't know but like if you think of like you described him as machiavellian and if you would describe the writings of particularly the prince since that's the most uh usually talked about piece of uh from machiavelli um uh, would you describe that as lawful evil?
1: <laughs> Machiavelli is a very interesting. He's a very unique so, character. <laughs> Machiavelli, the prince, was a thing he wrote to basically good and good graces with the Medici family. It's not yes. that he believed in those things. No, it's basically, yes. he's saying he's basically writing his way to save his own head and his family's yes. head. We could go, we could do an entire podcast on Machiavelli. And once we get big enough and we can do Patreon, we definitely have to. Because Machiavelli is fascinating.
0: Yeah. But you would argue that the the phrase Machiavellian does kind of get yes. derived from a lot of that writing. And Correct.
1: Correct. But it's, if it's you in- would characterize yeah.
0: someone as Machiavellian, and if you would describe a Machiavellian person as lawful evil
1: and ends justify the means yes yeah there's a lot of rulers yeah. who say that ends justify the means and it's pretty evil the stuff they did so yes <laughs> yeah. i like uh one stolid comes to mind so yes i would that's have to right. agree all right so
0: that's a that's a five and a five yeah yep 10 right.
1: points
0: 10 he gets his marks
1: all right Alrighty, stability, another one out of five. It's got to be high. He codified the laws of his kingdom. He unified all of the Visigothic kingdom. There was a huge time of peace where nothing was discussed. I think the only yeah. instability was with the Catholics over in France. I There's nothing really talked about over what's going on in Spain. So I don't know if there's a lot of unrest going on in Spain, but based on the sources, I think it's gotta be pretty high. Obviously not perfect, but I'm thinking I don't of... know. What
0: marks does he really have against him?
1: The, uh, again, the the um rebellion by the bishops, the Catholic bishops. Yeah, but that was the thing,
0: is he he put down those those rival factions. That's that is you true. Can't you can't always stop people from again there sometimes yeah you're right place right time but i think really like he took he took the the situation and just flipped it around and it sounds like not only did he have rival factions but that he he silenced them and then began writing laws (laughs) you really can't write laws if you're unstable
1: yeah. All right. Well,
0: or rather, you can't make laws followed. We don't know how well they were like followed or respected. But it sounds like from the the connotation that these laws have some impact. The fact that we know, you know, their name, mm-hmm. you know, the Uruk laws or the Uruk codes, is like, I think, really inf- implies yeah. that these are respected laws. And you can't do that if you're not stable. That's why I think
1: he gets his five. All right, I'll, well, you're you're really convincing today. Yep, I'll have to agree as well. Five. I already wrote down your score. I already <laughs> knew it was five and five before we even started talking. So, okay. Dynasty. He married a woman named Ragnolid. We don't know too much about her, but according to Sidonius, she was a patron of poets and artists, like a lot of, you know, queen consorts during the medieval times. Yep she could speak latin and is said to be well educated like her husband that's another thing with yurik is well you can see he seems very smart she also it appears that she could match his wit and it Mm. is actually speculated that she had influence over the kingdom's affairs so that's pretty cool that again that's all we get (laughs) there's nothing else so I, i i couldn't like make her an entire section otherwise i would love to but um that's just the best we're going to have to give so uh and then they had a son named Alaric II who inherited his father's throne and he left behind the first codified laws for the Visigothic kingdom another thing in dynasty is he set up his son quite well the they have the best part of France and most of Spain yeah it's yeah
0: really incredible um, again, a little bit of, I guess, foreshadowing, but also it's, it's moments like these that make me think of what, like, uh, like Catherine the Great, right? Yep. Which is to say incredible leaders, mm-hmm. incredible rulers, but some people don't know when to let go and when to hand the reins off to the next person. And this feels like it's got it written all over it. what do you mean by that there's uh, the case where basically the previous ruler does such an incredible job with ruling and then you know they have an heir and basically they don't do a great job of basically training them to be honest and that is whenever you see someone do something incredible basically like you had a previous ruler who is maybe not great or just meh kept the status quo. And then this person just rockets you ahead. Like they, despite the fact that they do everything perfectly, the one thing that they cannot do is let go. And they frequently in, you know, it feels like that they frequently don't let their, their children, the next heir, basically get hands on experience.
1: I want to so, say he knew his son's um, disposition. I, Again, not to get into spoilers, but if Alaric... I'm not going to mark that against him. If because... Alaric was my son, I wouldn't give him the reins either. Let's just put it at that point. Yeah, I... but the, and that's the thing
0: is like i guess i i would not, i'm not marking this against him because yeah this is about his rule and it,
1: what he leaves behind i mean he is the first one to yeah exactly to, to tell rome you know piss off <laughs> he's the <laughs> first one to unify all of visigoths he creates a code he forms what is going to be the visigothic kingdom it's the kingdom of toulouse and really makes it solidified they're like this is here and it's gonna be you are gonna have to deal with it
0: yeah no and i think it's incredible but oh, yeah. i think he's probably near perfect you know
1: it's, it's gotta be up there uh, it's gotta be up there i don't know i again it probably is because i know what's coming that i have my biases yeah oh man here's the thing if your stayed alive for like five to ten years more (laughs) history would have been very very different when alaric took over it seems like he was really young when he took over yeah but but... anyways so all right well
0: let's let's talk about it so what is this one this is a dynasty yeah this is a dynasty and it's uh out of what 10 correct 10. 10 so i want to give him some really great marks but you know he's got probably just an ingredient or two missing yeah i want to give him an eight i was gonna give him because this is this is a very solid guy i'll stick with an eight because i want to leave at least a little wiggle room that's for me personally there's still a little more to improve on although
1: honestly i can't i can't tell you exactly what that
0: improvements would be i was
1: gonna say i if you were to stop and like never read ahead it's pretty damn close to a 10 yeah i'm gonna go nine i can't give him a 10 but again that's my biases for later on but i think a nine at least all right well i'll stick to my guns this and we'll not quibble over the one point all right so. sounds good eight and nine for 17. so that's a total of how much he's got to be the highest that's... one.
0: Oh yeah oh yeah <laughs>
1: he's he's got a a whopping
0: 75 points. holy shit. that's pretty good <laughs> yeah that's uh that is that is the highest by how much what's the next oh. one
1: and who is it <laughs>
0: Probably be Alaric, wouldn't it? Alaric or Walia, yeah. Uh well has got forty-nine. Alaric, I believe, had higher, and he was like this is actually the one that's not in my uh oh, compilation right in front of me. That's because funny. he was he was the first. He yeah. gets his own sheet. That is true. Uh, so he but I do remember him being like fifty-three or something, I wanna say. Okay. So yeah, no, Uric is like Holy He's
1: Alaric God. plus. You'll <laughs> never be Uric. Oh, oh my! Oh, sorry. God. You will never be Uric. <laughs> what, instead of you'll never be Alaric. It'll be never be. Now you're going to compare everyone to Uric instead of Alaric. That's right. I mean, until we get someone else better. I, um, oh, that's going to I be say hard. better very
0: loosely. It's hard. Well, again, religious passion is a big spot, and you said
1: Spain is uh, pretty ripe with uh, some religious fervor. I think when we get to Isabella and Ferdinand, yes. that is going to be darn near close to a hundred, uh, just from the zero researched, you know, knowledge that yeah. I know. Well, things, things, you
0: know, their kingdom and it's from my limited perspective, they're relatively stable. Yeah, definitely got the. I'm, um, you know, I don't I think... know about mischief, but we'll we'll get to that. But definitely, they got religious passion. We know that much, and. That kind of lays
1: into your alignment, and well, we'll see how. Yeah, I can already give you what their religious passion score is going to be ten. You, they started the. <laughs> yeah. The spoiler the spinach alert! Spinach acquisition. <laughs> no one
0: expects the spinach acquisition.
1: No. Our chief weapons are, alrighty. I know everyone is just dying to know whether we're going to raise him to high king a lesser high lord king. or bird. Yeah, high. King. Done. Easy. That's <laughs> the easiest one. <laughs> he was fun. Oh my god. This was one of my favorite kings ever researching ever writing about ever talking about. Oh, I can't believe like we've never heard this kind of stuff before. Like, this is pretty cool. Things that well, we've we do live in America. Of.
0: Yeah, we, we live in America. And you know this is Europe. Yeah. We, while it does
1: inform our history it is still not our history yeah as i keep diving more and more it's just amazes me how i thought i was a medieval history buff and i know quite a bit i know nothing about the early medieval times is what i'm learning and cuz like i didn't know about the visigoths before we even started this podcast so it's I mean, I knew they existed, but based on that, I, you know, it was just like, yeah, it was, it was a thing that happened, but didn't realize all of the stuff that is in that, that oh, time yeah. of history. Well, before we close out, I want to thank all of you listeners for listening and supporting our podcast. It really means a lot. I have a lot of fun with this project. Um, it gives me an excuse to re- spend a ridiculous amount of time researching stuff. Uh, that I normally wouldn't do, and we couldn't do it without you guys listening. If you enjoy our way of exploring history, go to pod our Podchaser link in the show notes, uh, click uh, follow, and give your favorite history nerds five stars. You don't have to if you don't want to. If you don't know what to say, tell us who your favorite king or queen is and why they're your favorite. Right now, Eurek's my favorite that we've gone through, and it's just because of how impressive he has been and i've never heard of him before and now we finally have an email address so if you have any questions comments or concerns constructive feedback we will always take you can email us at quest at gmail.com until next time the king is dead long live the king